Don't you know, Coo? Driver! Welcome to the Interstate Wrestling Podcast, a fan wrestling podcast brought to you from two states, the joy and adoration of wrestling. I'm your co-host James, and joining me from a completely different state, I'm thrilled to have my good friend and brother from another mother, Josh Mordecai. Good evening, sir. How are we doing? I am doing fantastically well tonight. Excited to talk about some wrestling, hang out a bit, um, just kind of, as you like to say, nerd out about this thing that we share a common love of tonight it is indeed the opportunity to nerd out isn't it and uh, we uh we go back a little ways don't we and I, I think the intent and spirit of tonight's podcast will be to to lay some foundations of why we're nerd, nerding out sort of the excitement that we, we have about it and who we are as fans but we we go back a little ways and uh, that little ways should be an instant shout out to the Lunchador Podcast Network, dreaded Matt Knotts, who is uh, is a, been a supporter of this endeavor and is uh, is known to both of us very closely to you, of course. He's uh, he's your actual brother, yeah, brother from the same mother in that case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I mean this is this this is really about the 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 fandom, isn't it that that we have as wrestling, and we know um I, I the the spirit of the name you know there's there's many puns and plays plays on semantics i'm sure we'll delve into but the two states you've been a you've been a diehard long-standing wrestling fan for a long time haven't you yeah probably somewhere around i was thinking about today probably somewhere around like 30 years i've been watching wrestling on and off mostly on there was there's only been like little snippets of time where i haven't been at least checking in and out on stuff and trying to find new stuff uh like got sick of WWE at one point, started watching TNA in college and putting off my boring reading so I could see Kurt Angle or whoever at the time. So yeah, it's been it's been a long haul. I I have quite a bit more of an off period, I guess what, you know, is more commonly termed as being the lapsed fan. And uh I, I think I, I've tried to pinpoint it in previous conversations. I, I think I lose track somewhere around WrestleMania ten or twelve. And I'm not sure if it is WrestleMania 12, and that's only because how familiar the the, the Hollywood backlot brawl is to me in my mind. I, I'm not quite sure where the drop-off point is. Sure. <laughs> and then, obviously, as as this conversation will evolve tonight in the first episode, um, you and uh, and Matt over the years have dragged me back to indie shows and sort of, you know, stoked that fire. But then it just sort of blew back out of control being able to get to, to WrestleMania 35. So that, by my terrible maths equation, is about a 25-year off period. Uh, and I've just spent the last couple of years sort of trying to consume and devour everything. So it's uh, uh, it's certainly going to be a nerdist adventure tonight, isn't it? You know, it is. And that 25 years is a very kind of hot and cold time period for you to be out. I mean, you're talking, leaving kind of that new gen crossover where Hogan is out and they're starting to put it on Bret Hart. We'll definitely talk about more tonight. And then missing that whole kind of attitude era that uh was my middle school life was 
taking in a, signs that were inappropriate for a 13 year old to have at a wrestling show to wrestling shows. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a, a, a raunchy period, isn't it? The sort of thing yes. where your uh, your your mom or your dad's walking in, questioning what you're wrestling, uh, what what you're watching at this point, right? Absolutely, yeah. So why don't we uh, why don't we structure this conversation, climbing in between the ropes, and we'll uh, we'll dive down that rabbit hole, shall we? Oh yeah. As they say uh, in in the good books, let's start at the very beginning. So, do you do you recall where the interest starts? Like, what is it about wrestling that piques your attention? How how do you fall down this thirty year rabbit hole? I, I think I was just the right age at the right time. I mean, I was five or six years old starting to watch, and that was kind of the golden age of Hulkamania. So, you had all your larger than life heroes. Um, I was always a Hulk Hogan guy. My brother was always a Roddy Piper guy. Um, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, like all these big names for that time period. Uh, and our uncle was into it, and we got really lucky that the War Memorial, now the Blue Cross Arena, but I still call it the War Memorial because that's who I am as a person. Uh, <laughs> they would have yearly wrestling shows that we could just go to this house show. Um, and I think that really kind of did it too, being able to go from watching it every week and waking up early to watch. Uh, Mania, which was essentially like a clip show, uh, and then being able to go see it live and see The Undertaker early on, and being terrified of him because I'm a child with this like scary dead man coming out. Uh, so all that just like being the perfect time for all these like larger than life, like comic book come to life characters, uh, and just kind of sticking with it until it became something my friends were really into, and then kind of being able to share that with people who are kind of new to it. I was um, I was listening to a, a podcast actually today, and as you're talking about sort of the larger than life superheroes, mm-hmm. um, I was actually listening to the Bruce Pritchard Conrad Thompson because um, they were they were were talking about the Royal Rumble '91, and, and and it piqued my interest for that reason. Uh, but in that conversation, they're sort of talking about the characters being switched on all of the time, and of course that that period in time. And I'm digressing a little bit here. Um, that Royal Rumble is Sergeant Slaughter taking the belt from Ultimate Warrior and you've got the whole Desert Storm, sort of that whole storyline going on, yeah. just how poignant. And in the conversation, Conrad Thompson sort of challenging Bruce Pritchard about, well, you know, uh, was it a bad idea? Was it a bad judgment call? And Bruce Pritchard saying, well, no, it was. that was the time. Like even Hollywood, every, everything was sensationalizing this. It was, you know, there was certain villains and certain heroes and of this nature. But they make the distinction that actors in a movie played a part and then their press tour, they're going around as themselves and sort of almost siloing the character they played in the movie like it lives in a compartment. Whereas I guess the point that I'm getting to is Sergeant Slaughter was getting death threats and had to have a security detail around that time, didn't he? Because there was no off switch. They were these characters all the time. And arguably one of the best purveyors of that is The Undertaker. I mean, he lived and breathed the gimmick for 30 years straight, right? And that... That one you're talking about is where they cut into the Hogan interview and say there's a rumor, just a rumor, that he's desecrated the flag. So you're doing that as the Iraqi sympathizer during this war with a rumor he's desecrated the flag. So I, I can definitely see how he would be facing that type of uh, public backlash in that time period. Uh, 
and yeah, Undertaker in those pictures of the last like five years where he's backstage in full jacket and hat with like other celebrities dressed normally. This <laughs> this like weird thing that he held on to forever. Um, <laughs> That'll be a an interesting conversation. I'm sure we'll delve into down the road this this journey of uh, nerdist uh, adoration and passion for wrestling is is indeed mm-hmm. the you know kayfabe and the legends of kayfabe right but um it's an interesting point to say that 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 was sort of the attraction because they were these tangible uh superheroes mm-hmm. you could you could go shake their hands and there was you know there was the undertaker there was the you know the all-american there was you know th- they were very definable grand characters weren't they They really were like the the good guys were clearly good and the bad guys were clearly very bad and it wasn't this kind of like rare gray area of the the cool bad guy it was the bad guy that like you really wanted to see get beat up especially as a little kid like that clear black and white kind of hero villain story um and it was easy to follow right like i didn't need to spend a whole bunch of time with other other areas where you like really nerdy have like a lot of lore, um, and wrestling doesn't really have that entry point except for maybe a character like the Undertaker, where there's a ton of backstory, but you basically pick up where he is in his character whenever you dive in. It's like, oh, he's an undead biker now for some reason. Okay, that's where we're going with that. Yeah, the the um, a well told story um, can happen in an instant, can it? Especially in a wrestling ring. Um... That that's a good point. It, it it's funny because I, I I think back. Um, I try to remember where where it really picks up because it, it it doesn't exist in the UK. Obviously, you know where where I once upon a time uh, come from. Um, it doesn't pick up in the UK until there is satellite television. So essentially, Sky Broadcasting pick it up. But wrestling is a major thing in the UK prior to that, but a very different flavor of it. It's your uh, your. Yeah. Um, giant haystacks and your big daddy and these just yeah i mean physically massive guys physically in every direction said respectfully but physically massive guys sure and and none of this you know uh aerobatic um you know sort of lucha style or you know sure. beat the shit out of each other to the mat type wrestling but just phenomenal and it always was on on a on a saturday afternoon and i vividly remember from being a young age the big daddy character he was the absolute face and giant haystacks was the absolute heel and realizing when we when we finally did get sky which funnily enough would have been around 90 91 i think um uh and and seeing like the superstars are wrestling Mm -hmm. or whatever the weekly the weekly of the wwf at the time and it just was it blew your mind because it was not the brand of wrestling we had watched so faithfully for years because there was these i mean there there were certainly bigger than life characters no doubt in, in in british wrestling but you know the grand entrances, the the music and the themes, um, the the gear. Um, I mean, the glitz of it was just incredible. I mean, to me, and again to say with with respect, it was the complete Americanization. It was the complete Hollywood version of wrestling, uh, and it was just astonishing. You know, absolutely. And like coming into that time is when you start to get like with when Shawn Michaels starts to take the lead and he gets some more like the pyrotechnics coming in and they get the massive Titan Tron. Like you're saying, some of that more kind of grandiose uh, pageantry piece of it when they start moving into like, let's make this really something to look at. I guess kind of going back to like your rock and wrestling connection with Cindy Lauper of like, okay, how do we get even more eyes on this? Um, 
let's just make it bigger, make it more cult, make it kind of cartoony because we have the cartoon the kids are watching with rock and wrestling. So all that coming together to try to pull people like you and I, <laughs> we're like, let's have a little more spectacle. We're right in that sweet spot for that. And, and, and essentially put, right, the genesis of WrestleMania is is Vince having the idea that you could involve pageantry, glitz, pyrotechnics, Hollywood celebrities. You know, you've 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 he packaged that all up in that that tiny little event back at Madison Square Garden in eighty uh, five. Yeah. Um, and and the rest is history, right? I mean, and it, it's funny you mention that because you look back at even just some of the the entrances from you know yesteryear, which were essentially kind of just the WWF logo stuck to the side mm-hmm. of the bleachers in you know anywhere arena and a blue curtain yeah. to like you know the fucking stage set of wrestlemania from uh, obviously pre-covid but like it occupies the entire end of a stadium now doesn't it because there's, the- there's a literal roller coaster on it <laughs> right. Now, right? Like, yeah <laughs> it's uh it's quite evolved so so you get to go to a bunch of shows at the the war memorial and where where is it then just like lifelong hobby like when, when do you then just become like i need more of this i need to consume more how do i get to shows how do i yeah i, I think kind of i uh, probably 2013 2014 somewhere in there um matt and i just kind of happened to find and i don't know where we found it but i think the first show that we really like got together and watched indie wise was um chikara's high noon um which was kind of where we were introduced to some of the people that we then followed to a bunch of other places. Uh, and that was kind of like the first taste of indie. And that's when like um, I'd been hearing about ROH, which had been around for ages at that point and like getting a little bit of it. And then getting a little more exposure to like what's PWG doing and kind of finding these other indie promotions. But that was kind of the, uh, aside from finding random stuff on TV, like watching impact when it was a six sided ring and all that. Um, I think that just kind of finding a couple small indie shows was when I was like, oh, there's a lot of this to consume. That's one of the, um, again, knowing you for years uh, in the context of real life uh, and and for this podcast, one of the things I'm most excited about is this um, sort of journey and just being able to sort of, again, nerd out on (laughs) the amount of indie wrestling that you've consumed. Um, You know, if I think back to sort of the last two years where I really fell back down the rabbit hole again and... um, you know, the opportunities that existed prior to that, maybe seeing the books at a Chikara show or a PWG show or something like that. And like, oh God, the, uh, you know, uh, Matt will for, forever rub in my face how he's just kind of hung out. And I'm sure you were there as well. You've just kind of hung out with Nick, Nick yeah. and Matt Jackson uh, at the merch table, at the gimmick table, and just, you know, chatting with them <laughs> as though they're two ordinary dudes. And now yeah. I'm like idolizing them on Dynamite Weekly, you know. Yeah. But bought my Bullet Club shirt directly from them and, uh, like a weird community center in Syracuse. <laughs> and fuck you, that's the end of the podcast. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was good while it lasted, you know. <laughs> uh, spoiled by riches, I think is the phrase, right? <laughs> yeah, but I think that's another like big part of it is going to those shows. And I guess it kind of demystifies that whole thing we were just talking about. They're the larger-than-life characters, and they're these, like, I guess, really characters. And then you're there, and you're just talking to them, and... Um, Obviously, they're persuading you to buy their shirts, but you kind of see them as, oh, you're not this like super over the top character that um, I'm so used to seeing, which is another great thing about going to those shows. 
it, it's funny because one of the uh, the earliest memories, again, thinking about sort of wrestling fandom and becoming a wrestling fan, my uh, my old man, my dad, loved his English wrestling, which was, again, that, I mean, that was the obvious mm-hmm. entry point. He wanted to, you know, he put it on the TV on the Saturday afternoon. Um, as another digression, I always remember it was the Muppet Show and then World of Wrestling or something it was called, or Wrestling and then... World of Sport. Yes, exactly. Um, it was just a good Saturday afternoon in television and, you know, in, you know, Northern England in the, in the, uh, in the, in the mid eighties, somewhere around there. Um, but I always remember my old man sort of saying, you know, it was almost like ruining Santa Claus. Sorry, kids, if you're listening <laughs> to this, uh, spoiler alerts come in, uh, him talking about that the wrestlers like giant haystacks wasn't really an adversary of Shirley Crabtree, big daddies, like they were actually friends and, you know, if you just wait, you could spot them in the pub having a pint after the fact, and like they were, they were in actual <laughs> right. fact just these normal dudes, and uh, and and it's funny, sort of jesting and laughing about it now. It, it really is like destroying the myth of Santa Claus to find out, you know, what the world of wrestling really is. It's it's fascinating, you know. Yeah, and that all the wild old stories of when that wasn't kind of an open secret that they were all friends, and that the lengths people would have to go to to. Kind of avoid that getting out like the i mean the awful story with uh jake robert's dad breaking his breaking his neck in storyline and then wearing a neck brace around the house kind of and beyond the mat when jake talks about that but just like that i guess how it kind of slowly faded over time to where now it's just you know i mean ethan page on twitter saying his twitter handle being ethan page as played by julian and just like completely playing the curtain back now Again, that sort of harks back to uh, undoubtedly one of uh, a larger conversations, isn't it? Is 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 the legend of kayfabe? And again, to make a repeat point, Mark Calloway dressing in black, you know, sleeping in a coffin <laughs> for, for thirty years, pretending to be the uh, the undead. Um, I I just recently watched the uh, the series on uh, on the network, uh, yeah, the four or five part documentary on you know finally lifting the curtain on the Undertaker. And I actually think it's the Paul Bearer one that they do where he's just like, they had to be smuggled in and out of arenas just to keep the, keep the, keep the gimmick up, keep the, keep the reality of it up. And um, you wouldn't want it to have seen behind that curtain, would you? I don't know, like a character like The Undertaker, for example, or some of these larger than life characters that purvey it exist if you peel the curtain back you don't need to know do you to some degree yeah and again especially at the time of that that was the thing right was i mean that's the show at that point it's before there was a lot of um i mean you had your guys who were doing like kind of really theatrical or the very technical stuff but then the show was really the characters i think more than it is now i mean probably around that same time or the early 2000s when it became more about all the uh, message boards talking about work rate and how how are the boys in the ring and not oh yeah this guy's working a fun he, this is a fun gimmick that we can all kind of laugh and joke around about right now um, and then those guys being the main event of WrestleMania and shifting the whole kind of um, large scale conversation to that more ring based than character right moving moving the needle on it entirely. Um... I, I think segueing naturally into some of those characters that we've adored over the years and the matches, instantly that sort of, the example that springs to mind that for me, 
and I'm going to reference a lot of old school WWF because, mm-hmm. again, just acknowledging this big 25-year gap, <laughs> a lot of my frame of reference is about 1989 to 1993-ish, sure. uh, certainly in the in the old part. But probably a good example of, of what you were just describing is that WrestleMania six bout between Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither of them were wrestlers, were they? They weren't, like, technically amazing. They weren't doing great spots in a match. Uh, but you got these two superpowers and just the idea of them clashing the two characters colliding sold the story in of itself and that oh, yeah. still is one of the yeah. most vivid uh, i get i was a total hogan guy you could who, who wasn't a, a hogan guy um but the two of them colliding was just about the character wasn't it there weren't yeah. any big massive like leaps off the top ropes or moonsaults or whatever it was it was just them being in the ring, the psychology of it, staring each other down, the you know the pose offs, uh, the rattling the ropes, and and kind of that thing of like in the back of your head leading up to it, like we'll never see these two against each other, right? And then all of a sudden, it's this thing that people didn't expect to see on such a grand scale like that, and a payoff that. Sorry, kids. Spoiler alert! Again, if you've not if you've not seen WrestleMania <laughs> six, then you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Yeah, you've had time. You've had time uh, to catch up. <laughs> the payoff is is it a payoff that they put both belts on the Ultimate Warrior? I, I don't know going into that that I ever thought Hogan loses to the Ultimate Warrior. No, no, and that, I mean since WrestleMania three, he's kind of like the unstoppable. Like it's a lot for somebody to take him out. So then that's that huge moment of like, oh, wait, this is something, something new. Right. Which is the other great thing is those like surprise in the back of your head. You're thinking it could happen, but it's not going to. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that really just happened. I have to kind of reevaluate everything right now. Yeah, it rocks you off the base entirely. That that sort of, and, and that's, again, as a wrestling fan, this, this sort of first episode being about why, why we exist, why we, why we are going to have these conversations. It's that payoff, isn't it? Is when you are convinced it's going to take a right turn and it takes a hard left and you don't see it coming. I mean, that's great storytelling in a wrestling ring. Yeah. And there's, I mean, I, I think of like the uh, stuff a couple of years ago with Daniel Bryan before his injury and that whole story um, and that kind of like emotional reaction of, wow, that like this is happening. He's getting this big moment, like B plus player will never make it. That whole thing, thing leading up to it. And then he has that moment. Um, and that's only seven years ago, maybe, and still being that far into watching it and getting that excited about a moment like that kind of speaks to um, kind of the eternal magic, I guess, of just letting yourself get lost in it. You know, saying, like, I know they're going to go have a drink afterwards, or with Daniel Bryan, they're going to go, like, split a smoothie after the match. <laughs> <or something. laughs> um, but still, like, being, like, so there for it and on the edge of your seat, ready for whatever they're going to throw at you, and being pleasantly surprised in some cases like that. Right, right, yeah. The payoffs, are, the the payoffs are great when they're delivered packaged up like that, aren't they? Yeah. Um. So past, present, uh, and even maybe upcoming stars again, knowing sort of, uh, and I doff my cap in in sheer envy uh, and and jealousy <laughs> um, to the amount of indie shows you you're able to get to. You know, up and coming talent. Who who are who are the stars of yesteryear, today, and and tomorrow? Like, where where uh, where do your passions lie with the current state of things for talent? Yeah. So my my all time favorite is Bret Hart. Uh, number one always 
is that's going to be my answer. And I think of um, you're talking about the WrestleMania matches, his match with Roddy Piper, um, and the promo before that where uh, Piper's making fun of Bret Hart's family, and you know, since you're knee high to a grasshopper, pulls him back. Bret Hart pulls him back. I would have had you. Piper pulls out his fist with a belt around it. No, you wouldn't have. That whole build. Like, that's so burned into my brain, that whole build in that match. Mean, mean Gene Oakland is definitely surveying the situation there to find out if he's going to get in the crossfire, oh, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Like, how vividly do we both, how vivid is that promo for both of us <laughs> to speak of how good that is for the build for that match? Um, and just this afternoon, I rewatched, because I saw somebody recommend it, his match with 123 Kid for the title in. Uh, on Raw, and I think it was 1994. So it was only like a year or so after the like surprise one, two, three, kid victory over Razor Ramon. And just some of the small stuff that he does in that, there's a first or second lockup, and one, two, three, kid uh, hip tosses him, and the camera's on Brett, and he just kind of like makes this face of like, I didn't see that coming, and like immediately tells you the story of what the match is going to be with like one like adjustment of his wrist tape and a look kind of towards the camera but not down the barrel um so that, i don't think that type of thing sunk in when i was a kid i think it was just like wow he is really good at what he does like he makes this look smooth and believable and um yeah he was always my my go-to guy which is funny growing up in the hulkamania era right <laughs> my go-to is the most like vanilla technical guy he's inarguably though right sort of that shift to um i don't want to call it like the everyday guy because i'm certainly not six foot four 234 pounds jacked. um sure but it's that transition you know vince has always had this penchant for like the big massive bodybuilders the the hulk Mm -hmm. hogan's the ultimate warriors uh, you know, m- maybe more modern day, the look of like the Bro- Brock Lesnar's and you know the Drew yeah. McIntyre's, where they're massive. And Brett wasn't that. He 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 looked more like he could be a real guy you'd, you'd see in everyday life, right? Um, didn't have um at least on the surface kind of a definable character. He wasn't a you know he wasn't a clown. He wasn't an Undertaker. He wasn't a you know whatever. Yeah. He was he was Bret Hart. He is Bret Hart, and just went in and had these incredible technical matches. I mean, I, I think it's the Iron Man match that he had with, with Shawn Michaels that is oh, yeah. the quickest 60 minutes to experience in your life. There's no way. I, I still, you know, I have to look at the clock on the, on the, on the I guess, on the, the screen to verify it is 60 minutes long because it's so enthralling. It draws you in the back and forth. And, and, and Brett really is the beginning, isn't he? Is, is sort of the, the inception of, like, does Daniel Bryan exist if Bret Hart doesn't exist and that sort of thing? Sure, yeah. And the whole kind of dungeon system, too, right? Like, everybody who came out of the Hart family basement uh, undoubtedly has that impact on all those very kind of technical... And then coming back to that world of sports stuff, too, right? Like, all that has that influence that you see in him and Cesaro and Zack Sabre and all the people you think of in the past few years of technical wrestling kind of all comes from that same kind of Venn diagram. Yeah. So so Brett in the more sort of classic period, uh more modern day, more more up and coming stars. Um so I'm, I've been trying to think because I've been a little bit off of I just moved in September into a new house. So I've been 
a little bit slow on catching up on some of the indie shows. Um, but guys like Tony Deppin stick out to me. Uh, another, I mean, he can he can do that real technical stuff, but he can also be just a total shithead. Like, that's kind of his <laughs> uh, whole thing. He just did a two-hour, and I haven't seen it yet, he did a two-hour Iron Man match. Jeez. In that, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. GCW just did a 24-hour show. So if you're listening to this in the future, you have a good time frame of when we recorded it. Um, but they just did a 24-hour show, and it was him and I think Jordan Oliver in a two-hour Iron Man match. Goodness gracious. Um, yeah. Which a bunch of years ago, Chris Hero did a three-hour Iron Man match, but it was kind of a, a gauntlet where he took on a handful of people. But it was just these two um, in that match. So Tony Deppin definitely sticks out to me. Um, and then being in Western New York, um, you got like your Kevin Blackwood and your Daniel Garcia and Puff, like the Buffalo Boys. Um, always love seeing them pop, pop up on shows. Um, just because I've seen them in like, you know, youth hockey rinks around here. <laughs> so seeing them show up on these big shows, I'm always excited. I mean, Daniel Garcia just showed up on NXT uh, uh, development match. So uh, those guys being kind of not quite hometown boys, but home region boys is kind of nice to see them uh, getting more and more exposure. And I think Puff recently, uh, I say recently, it's a couple of months back now, um there was there was a whole bunch of the um buffalo crowd showed up on uh on a dynamite episode or some of the dark episodes for AEW because obviously with uh with andy and jesse with the butcher and the blade obviously now being signed there and sort of bringing along um some of the empire state guys and some of the you know the the, the buffalo area talent uh puff it was good to see puff getting out in there as well yeah if he i think if he gets more of that exposure i think he could be really popular amongst kind of year he's he's not going to be for everyone <laughs> but i think he'll get a pretty sizable following um if he gets a little more exposure not for everyone just because there's some like killjoys who you know the the, the funny don't make money <laughs> um but if you let yourself have fun with it i think it'd be very popular right i think we we saw him on a an indie show in portland as well a couple of years ago uh, and actually, funnily enough, uh, Butcher and Blade were there as well. It was um, MJF uh, and Anthony Green, who has now gone to NXT, and I can't think what he's yeah. got. Austin something or other? Austin Gray, maybe? Yeah. It's another AG name. Yeah. I know that. They, they, they were all on that show. Again, that was, that, that was probably my most tangible realization of, shit, what have I missed out on all these years? Because <laughs> this was a vfw hall or whatever it was or some sort of like ice hockey arena that was the size of you know two living rooms in in portland maine yeah. and mjf was there to drop the limitless championship to anthony green because of course he was he was on his way to AEW stardom and yeah uh, it was right before butcher and blade popped up on dynamite and that sort of thing and puff puff was on that show uh, actually a bunch of people now that have made their way to, to dynamite legit layla hirsch was on that show oh yeah um she's destined for good stuff she's she's tremendous yeah um but that was definitely a realization of fuck this is this is the environment to catch in your your big shows your big promotions are a lot of fun for the uh the theatrical presentation right much much like yourself I uh, wax and wane with the the product that the big e puts out sure 
uh, I've definitely I've definitely gotten into to AEW in a big way. But the Indies is is, is where to see it. And again, you know, the, the spirit of this uh, this podcast being the fan and 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 our two states of uh, you know my complete lapse gap. I I, I really want to sort of get more into the indies and spend more time like with uh independent wrestling tv and like that gcw i caught some of the uh the 24 hours of that going on which was literally sort of a, a lock-up garage wasn't it the ring took up most of the floor space you know yeah yeah um and they're running uh iwtv and fight tv are running con- i think concurrent wrestlemania weekend shows this year so you have probably 10, 12, 20 shows going on that weekend um, to check out too, which is wild. It's it's an incredible time to be kind of exploring wrestling right now. There's just so much, so much to kind of explore and mess with and spend some time with. Just to, to dive again for a second, how much, and as a genuine question, how much is AEW existing the catalyst for this? And especially where they're doing sort of these inter-promotion storylines, like obviously they've got the NWA crossover at the moment. They've got the Impact crossover at the moment. They're they're pulling indie talent left, right and center, whether it be for dark shows or, you know, spots on, on the main program on Wednesday nights. Uh, do you think it was already bubbling or do you think they're a catalyst for it? What's, what's your take? I, I wonder if it's more that the indies were kind of a catalyst for AEW. Because they started to kind of, if you look at a lot of the guys who are there, their kind of core guys are the largely like the PWG crowd, right? Like the Bucks, uh, Cage, um, even MJF towards the end, Excalibur, for God's sake, right? Like it's a lot of the PWG crowd. Right. So I wonder if that was kind of them saying like, oh, we can take this kind of, I don't know if I want to say indie sensibility, but this kind of indie framing of it. And move it to a larger scale. Um, and I don't, I mean, it's entirely, I, I think there's also something to the fact that there's now multiple attainable goals is probably also really heavily driving uh, indie wrestlers right now. Right? You've got how many companies that you could work for right now. Um, and you get signed to one, and who knows where you end up, as like you're saying, they're kind of making these other connections. Right. So, and you being in New England, like you're like, how many people on all of those right now come from like beyond, for instance? Sure. Which again, talk about it in hindsight, it, you know, talk about getting back into wrestling now. Um, I had kind of a sweet year going nuts, and then all of the crazy stuff of the last 12 months hit. Uh, but obviously, we were able to go to that Beyond Progress show down in, in Somerville um, a couple of years back. And, and again, if that's that's definitely a real tangible moment of what a sweet spot to be able to see a show. Intimate crowd right in your face. And the talent that was on the show, Walter, Pete Dunne, Dakota Kai. Yeah. Um, you, you, you know, what a treat to see happen in front of your face in those sort of environments. And they're, they're all, they've all gone places, haven't they? I mean, needless to say. Yeah, that's, I mean... I think who else was even on that? That was, uh, I think, was Dijak on that too? Who's in Retribution now? He was, because notably, I think he actually wrestled on the Beyond part of the show, not even on the Progress part, right? Which yeah. was the, the, the first the first card. Yeah. And I think we were, it was, you, Matt and I were stood outside the venue as he was leaving. 
and that was sort of his farewell and he was off to wherever he was going nxt right yeah right yeah it's it's always kind of wild to go back and look at those cards and be like wow i can't believe i saw you know this person then like jeff cobb was on that show which was kind of an embarrassing moment because I saw him and I like nudged me. I was like, "Jeff Cobb is here," and I did it just as he looked over to where we were. <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, I'm here." Like, would you like to buy a t-shirt? <laughs> yeah. I try to think back just to to circle around as well to the, the the talent that sort of really gets over that really sort of just draws you in again. You know, referencing the same point, these bigger characters we've already sort of acknowledged Hulk Hogan. I have to say, we said the name already. Roddy for me was just jaw-dropping to watch in his heyday you know that that brett match at wrestlemania 8 phenomenal i i i do it, it's a standout match for me and we'll, we'll certainly get into some favorite matches in a second won't we but that hollywood battle brawl with dustin rhodes with gold dust yeah. is just phenomenal it's phenomenal because there <laughs> there are so many fuck-ups in it where there's real injury and such you know uh, given that it was a cinematic, probably one of the earliest cinematic matches, right? And he just, his his promos were always great. Again, they're talking about referencing today, listening to that 1991 podcast with uh, with Bruce and Conrad Thompson. Roddy's on commentary on that show at the beginning and just cuts this, you know, five-star promo at the beginning of the event before it's like, you know, Coco Beware and the Mountie have even got through the curtain, let alone anybody else. Which is a barn burner. That's not fair to them. I'm sure it was a, I'm sure it was a great match. Coco and Jack Rougeau are great. <laughs> not one we've got back gone back and watched off, is it? Again, in similar vein, Roddy was just that everyday street fighter, wasn't he? I mean, coming out to the bagpipes in his kilt, you know, um the 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 feud that he had with Ric Flair was just compelling for me. I mean, Roddy was something special. He's he's he is as as they all are gone way too soon, you know. Oh yeah, he uh, and he he always kind of struck you like you're saying with that kind of like you you couldn't see where the end of his match was coming, right? Like Brett has that kind of five moves five moves of doom thing where like okay, um, you know, second rope Brett's rope elbow drop. Shout out to OSW. I'm sure there are multiple people who were thinking Brett's rope on that the most dangerous <laughs> rope. We'd um, hit that and he hit the whatever, getting um, up to the sharpshooter. I can't think of the five right now. Um, but Roddy would just be like, oh, like, that's how he's going to win this one, which is always kind of an exciting thing of kind of unpredictable thing that he had. To your, uh, to your point of the five moves of Brett, it's uh, the Hogan boot, the whole Hogan leg drop pin. It's And there's the end of the match, isn't yeah. it? It's the signature finish. Yeah. Um, yeah, Roddy was something special. I, I do have a, uh, from a heel point of view, a complete um, soft spot fascination with Ted DiBiase. Um, you know, he cut some brilliant vignettes. Of, oh, yeah. You know, kicking the honeymoon couple out, out of the honeymoon suite, the the basketball. Yeah, all-time classic. Uh, all super good. They, you know, ejecting everybody from the, the swimming pool, from the Lido. Yeah. Um, and just, again, I'm going to say it for a third time, kayfabe. Where does where does the million dollar man start and stop, and where does real life Ted DBR? You just don't know that. There's just no distinction there, is there? But he was he was phenomenal as a heel. I I I do. I, I definitely didn't see this live because again, it's 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 probably probably a little bit early before we got satellite television. But watching the old Silver Vision VHS tapes back, 
the whole sort of WrestleMania four storyline that he rigs and gets into the final match yeah. with Macho King and yeah. you know buys the WWF belt and that whole. So I mean, just a really well constructed heel. I I loved Ted DiBiase. I, I thought it got watered down quite a bit when Money Inc. got put together and he became a tag team. It didn't give him an opportunity to shine because he was great in the ring as well. He could wrestle Ted DiBiase. He he could sell sand to the desert sort of thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, he almost that Ric Flair uh, level of selling, you know. Um, and and uh, the other shout out I've probably got to give um, is the Bulldog. I, I mean, um, you know, again, acknowledging we'll, we'll, we'll touch on a couple of matches in a second. Um, absolutely, hands down, vividly, um, that Brett Bulldog match at Wembley 92 at SummerSlam. Yeah. Um, which, to put in context, the Intercontinental belt headlined the event. Yeah. Um, and Brett and Bulldog put on an absolute showcase that night. Bulldog was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, and then the additional the, like family story element, too, right? Was it Diana who's there? Driving a wedge down the Hart family. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, who like talk about two like fun technical wrestlers, right? Coming from that same like we we're talking about with all the influence today, like that's that kind of influence right there, putting on that match. Again, gone, gone, gone way too soon. The the other shout out, um, which will uh, you know, given all the WWF WWE speak so far on my part tonight, uh, easily hands down, and I and I. I will remain and vividly be a complete Rhodes mark for all things going forward. Uh, FYI, no bad words said against any of the Rhodes family on future conversations. <laughs> yeah, noted. Dusty was just golden, man. Oh, yeah. And I love Cody and Dustin now. Like, yeah. um, Dusty was just the the promo. The promo needs no discussion further, does it? You know? Oh, yeah. And just brilliant. I mean, the music, the moves, you know, dancing in the ring with Sable, the the bionic elbow, like just the whole package. Dusty was just something fucking special front to back, you know. And able to turn it into that when it was supposed to make him look like an idiot. Right. With the polka dots. Right. Like, we're, we're going to put you in your place. Right. And then it turns into that. Yeah. To that same point, you, you, you've, you've, you've got to fully acknowledge the uh, the Goldust character was the same treatment to Dustin, right? It was designed to show him up, designed to get heat in the arenas. It was, yeah, you know, it put put him in the gold makeup and the sort of androgynous get up and the provo- provocative stuff to the crowd, yeah. And it got over, like, oh yeah, uh, you know, sort of um, had the paradoxical effect. If we're going to be nerdy about it, right? Yeah, and able to transform into something so like not like that's like a, a blatant gay panic character. Right, that they had for a while, and then to turn it to something so different and like a kind of fully fleshed out character over time it's really kind of speaks to that that brain, that wrestling brain. Yeah, love the Rhodes family. Uh, again, all all things all things Rhodes here. Total Rhodes mark. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there there are worse people to be fans of. <laughs> um. So with those sort of like notable characters, I mean, obviously for me, I, I, I've got a lot of sort of content to consume and a lot of sort of digging to do. Um, I tell you who one of my favorite up and coming pay attentions to is, uh, is, is Dan Housen. Yeah. Um, I love, love the character, love the swear passes. Love that Dan Housen. Love that Dan Housen. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, got to give Dan Housen a shout out, and I think I think he just got contractually signed to Ring of Honor, like he's in now, isn't he? Yeah, 
Yeah, he's just waiting for his limp. Now he's getting his bags of money <laughs> in, uh, in ROH. Right. <laughs> um, Dave Honorhausen, uh, who, uh, what is she called? Quinn McKay, that does some of the, yeah. the backstage. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll we'll remind viewers that <laughs> Dave Honorhausen doesn't really exist. Uh, but uh, Danhausen is waiting for his sacks of cash. I mean, that's just brilliant. This sort of, you know, uh, vampire esque comedic sk- yeah. and his skill. I mean, the dude can wrestle as well. He's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah that uh, like springboard German that he does is right. Yeah, and that's another guy who just like, if you look at what he's was doing when he first started in the face paint he was doing kind of like a creepy scary character and then kind of transferred it into um whatever he is now <laughs> like and kind of written his own ticket um to to do that which is another like great thing about watching wrestling in the 21st century right is you get this entirely different um avenue and kind of get on the ground floor of you know just happening to follow somebody on Twitter and all of a sudden they're like the biggest name they're on every show on IWTV that type of thing yeah the momentum to uh, to, to to push him forward it's uh, uh, is incredible and it, it, he has hasn't he I mean he's kind of you, you said it well he's sort of formed his own brand and he's tweaked his own brand and the character the the, the persona that he's arrived at uh, you're right. I, I can't exactly quite pinpoint what he is. He's he's almost like a lovable vampire, you know. Maybe a, yeah. A, I, I say this sort of jokingly, you know. Maybe some sort of distant cousin of the count, where he's just this lovable <laughs> evil character, sort yeah. of sorts, you know, very nice, very evil. Yeah. Um, he's a bit cheeky. He's a bit dastardly. He's a bit ras, you know, rascally. Isn't yeah. He? Yeah. Also, I mean, friend friend of the Anomaly Film Fest. That's right. Yeah. Keep keep an eye out on his Instagram. Every so often, he shows up. There's there's a picture of him and uh, his wife or whoever else he's with with an Anomaly shirt. So that's right. Of course. Yeah. Of course. L- Lunchador siblings Anomaly Film <laughs> Fest. <laughs> um. So, being a fan, mm-hmm. matches that just live evergreen for you. Um. You know that you go back to and just can watch with astonishment um you know the wrestlemania 6 uh or the brett sean iron match i think things of that caliber yeah what um where do you go back to when you just need a wrestling fix that's satisfying and you need that evergreen standout match uh, or matches yeah. actually i watched it today to go back and kind of like refresh on it but uh and i'm sure it's, it's, whoever is listening right now they'll hear the show, and I really know the match I'm going to say, but Halloween Havoc 1997, and it's your Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero, and it's just so perfect. Um, just the whole Eddie going after Rey's mask, and that kind of being a new thing for American audiences, and the mask is part of the bodysuit, so that kind of plays into it. Um, the commentary team is hilarious, because it's Tony Schiavone, um, Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rhodes, Mike Tanay, and I lost the fourth one now. Um, but at one point, Mysterio does kind of a like a dragon rana to the outside, and uh, one of the commentators is like, "I have always oh, Bobby Heenan." That was the fourth. So imagine that commentary team: Schiavone, Heenan, Dusty Rhodes, and Mike Tanay. Um, so he hits this move, and Dusty goes, uh, "I or no, uh, Bobby Heenan goes, I have never seen that before." I'm just sitting there thinking, like, 
I don't think many people had at that point. That's <laughs> what a year, two years after they started showing up in those ECW shows and really kind of exposing American audiences to Lucha style. So, and then the, it was, it was funny. I was watching it and like something kind of clicked right at the end. I was like, Oh, I haven't watched this match in years, but I know this is the finish and I know what it is. And I still can't believe they pulled it off. Like it's this incredible, I mean, go watch it. I'm going to spoil the ending for it, but it's incredible. Um, Eddie gets him up in this kind of second rope crucifix bomb thing and goes to kind of throw him. And instead of actually launching him, uh, Ray catches him and does a Rana and pins him off of it. And that's the finish. And like, even having seen it so many times, I just watch him like, how do you get the timing of that? How do you like work that well together? Um, so that's definitely one that I think about all the time. And I think it was, it might have been the opener of that show. Uh, but if not, it was really early on in that show. And I just, it's mind-blowing to think that Eddie and Ray would go on that early in a show, kind of being where we are now, right? And, and put that much on a table to leave that much to follow it after the fact, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. and thinking that's 25 years ago ish yeah and like ray is still doing his thing i mean he was i think he was 12 or 13 when he started maybe 14 so the fact that he's still around even though he has like all his knee issues and everything age-wise makes sense but that it was, it was that long ago and he was going like that is yeah it's just it's an incredible match every time i watch it wcw period um lives in evasion for me unintentionally because i remember the product being on british tv and actually i think it was uh like one of the regular channels like so <laughs> this this will date and age me back when we had four channels <laughs> uh and actually five channels like like the, the channels you could get with like your you know your your rabbit ears in the sky sort of thing sure yeah <laughs> channel five um which was this sort of, you know, you had your BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel Four. Channel Four and Five were kind of like the absolute indies of television that just got the shows that nobody would put on. It's the Wild West of, of television. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> right. it was. And if that was Channel Four, Channel Five was an either, uh, even uh, was more, even more of an application of that. It was like yeah. if, if Channel Four wasn't showing, then shit, it must be terrible for it to go on, <laughs> on Channel Five. Yeah. But they got the rights to WCW to obviously compete with what was happening on 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 satellite television, and WCW was on at like midnight on a Friday mm -hmm. night or you know a Saturday night or something like that, and and I do remember trying to watch it, and again, whether this is whether this is fairly said in reflection now or whatever, but this was this was my takeaway at the time, I just couldn't get into it. It didn't have that glitz it didn't have the pageantry it didn't have the characters like at the time the wwf were putting on and so consequently i never watched a lot of wcw when i was initially a wrestling fan and i've never picked up tons of it over the years certainly now i've gone back to some of the big stuff uh you know the pay-per-views over the years sure. and certainly gone back to look at uh, a, a key period for me for wcw or a key p where it piques my interest is that um is that October, November, November, right? Because it was Survivor Series of 1997, 
and sort of into 98, where a, you know, a certain event leads to a certain event and a certain oh, yeah. character that we've named already pops up. <laughs> um, just to see sort of the continuation of that storyline, because there you've got Bret Hart, face of the company, mm-hmm. done, gone. Montreal screw, screw job oh, yeah. off to WCW. And I, I, I do have to spend a lot more time and go back at a lot and see a lot more WCW stuff. Yeah, I, I, I'll think about, because I, I used to watch 605 on the Superstation every Saturday night, two hours of WCW. <laughs> and then I, I swear this is true, I would watch um, Raw, and then I'd have Nitro picture in picture. And then if something, if there's a, like if something boring was happening on Raw, it was another 25 minute promo. I'd switch the pictures and I'd watch whatever on Nitro. So for years, I was watching Raw and Nitro at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was it, it was bad for a while. <laughs> but yeah, soak so, it up. Oh yeah. So I'll, I'll try to think of kind of um, classic WCW stuff uh, that I can maybe recommend down the line. I've I've got visions of that scene from Back to the Future too, where Marty goes to Future Hilldale and he goes to his older self house, older self's house, <laughs> and the TV screen is just like you know, you know, whatever a hundred inch canvas screen or whatever, and they've got like twenty different channels going on. Is that sort of imagery? Yeah. You just like you know all these screens playing wrestling and consuming it all. Yeah, that was basically it. Yeah, and then like going online to what was whatever Wrestle Scoop. That was the news site I used to go to. So I'd like the next day I'd go on WrestleScoop and see what the rumors were of what was coming up. And yeah, it was it was consuming for a while. Yeah, I can't believe I was able to pull back WrestleScoop just now. <laughs> Shows me how often I was on it when I was younger. D- digging down deep in this rabbit hole tonight for the conversation. Eh? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it just knowing that the I I, I mean that the. the the direction was fluid, wasn't it, between the two main companies at the time, the two big companies at the time, between the F and, and, and WCW. Uh, but, like, some of these uh, wrestlers that I was massive fans of left and went in that direction, and I and I inadvertently, unintentionally, certainly more unintentionally in, in, in more modern-day conversation, need to go back and see some of those storylines, like Hogan versus Sting. I mean, that on paper is a match that should bring the house down, right? On, on paper, <laughs> in in practice, um, maybe not as much. <laughs> the build is great. I, I won't disparage you going to watch the build, but there's some uh, to take in uh, a deathmatch wrestling term. There's some fuckery that happens that towards the end kind of sorry, but totally go and, and explore it. Yeah, dig around. Yeah, don't let me, don't let me poison that well. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, I tell you, a, a, and I'm going to, I'm going to go on a bit of a road rant again here for a second, mm-hmm. um, for a, a, a modern day standout. Um, and, and I think why it's a standout for me is one, the context of which of the stage that it's put on, meaning how the event is brought about with little to no essentially storyline or promo. Uh, and what I'm talking about is the Cody versus Dustin match at double or nothing, sure. which they did a few online promos and tried to sell the match that way. And obviously there was no precedent, was there? There was all in six months before or whatever it was. Um, right. In, in uh, the September prior to, to the first double nothing. But 
it was the first AEW. It was the first pay per view of AEW as a as a company, wasn't it? With no real precedence, and you've got this match, and just phenomenal. I mean, I know Dusty, Dustin, and Cody had tried to sell it to their former employers, mm-hmm. uh, and it been continuously shut down. But what attracts me most to a to a solid wrestling event or a solid match is is the story that gets told in the ring. So you've got you know almost the Cain and Abel esque brother versus brother don't you and they just deliver it just is it's it's got all of the it's got all of the spots it's got the energy it's got the emotion because you get the dusty chant through the yeah. match yeah. Uh, it really stirs you up and and that's still a match and, and granted it's still only what getting on to be two years old not even yet is it you know two years old in may if i just need a 20 minute fix of wrestling i'll go on and throw that, that match on and sure. the whole card you know the whole event wasn't wasn't shit by any means you know kenny versus jericho was decent the yeah. bucks versus the uh penta and phoenix was amazing but there's something there's something definitely special about that match oh yeah yeah like you said when it goes beyond when it goes beyond the in-ring action quote-unquote and like into something kind of more primal I'm trying to think as well like sort of even sort of more modern day era where there's just been all all of the ingredients collide it's the right place the right time the right story the right matches um what what other examples of of that might be you know yeah i, I think that they've kind of gotten into the habit of like the, the one that comes right to mind is um edge returning at the royal rumble that last year when he came back and this kind of like unthinkable like this man is far one of my brother's phrases he's made out of like bubble gum and glass at this point right like becky lynch cuts that promo of get out of my ring, and don't hurt your neck on the way out. And that's kind of the last thing you have with them. And all of a sudden, his music hits. It's kind of impossibility. Um, and before that, I think, like, Daniel Bryan's return, right? Of this, like, this thing that, like, was legitimately emotional when he was leaving. And then he comes back. And I don't know if you've seen that clip of him backstage when his music first hits coming back. Oh, it's like... Like the smile he gets when he hears his music when he's first coming back, and just the whole—that's another great example, I think, of like going beyond the match and beyond the characters and this really like human element of like I'm I'm really witnessing something right now that's bigger than it's bigger than that big ass roller coaster on stage, right? Like this is something real right now, you know, that pulls you back into those types of moments. That's that's a good example, and I think probably Brian's match at WrestleMania 30, where he basically wins the the heavyweight when he wins both belts. I think it's I think it's 30. Whether the yes movement is yeslemania as it was it was obviously termed, is at its peak, and obviously that's before his whole sort of retirement, like before he before he sort of you know is 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 having to go away for a while. I mean that seems to be a convergence of just all the right ingredients, doesn't it? It's the right story, it's the right passion, it's the right you know the right talent in the ring, the right result, a crowd going nuts, um, and and that kind of underdog again, that kind of like, well, this is impossible. There's no way they're gonna. This is what we all want to happen. There's no way that's what they're gonna let happen. And then there it is. Right? This kind of like almost unbelievable moment, right, in that show. What do you consider has been the staying power as a fan for all these years, all these years? So we sort of said at the beginning of this conversation, we, uh, you, you know, we've ebbed and flowed through what promotions you've watched and you know, sort of what you followed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I drop off a big twenty-five year cliff for quite a while there for no good reason. Yeah, 
and it's it's funny it's 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 my sister that kept the dream alive uh that you know on top of you and and you and matt um sort of being able to see some indie shows sort of the chikara in the allentown yeah um or the the even like that smash progress show that we went to in toronto sort of yeah. dabbling with a little bit in lady years it was you know really that sort of big exposure again to wrestlemania and seeing everything around the wrestlemania weekend because even even if you don't go to wrestlemania the amount of good shit that's going on around oh, it yeah. between the WrestleCon and the indie shows the yeah you, you know whatever might be going on that soaking it all in just the the experience of community of it all that's completely what relit the fire for me what um what what is what has kept you on deck for so long and so faithfully yeah i think like recently it's that very kind of communal feeling of going to indie shows and especially when you go to multiple ones like in rochester i can picture people who are at every show uh or going up to syracuse like knowing certain people are going to be there there's that kind of feeling of I, I've said like wrestling is this weird area where like we find our own, right? And there's a sense of community always. And somebody mentions it unexpectedly, and it's like, oh, cool, we're best friends now. <laughs> like there's this like instant connection at that point. Um, but I also think there's just this kind of like this kind of comfort that like you know you leave for a while, you come back, and you know basically what you're gonna get. Right, it's it might be like a slightly improved version of it, might be a slightly worse version of it, but that's still fun to kind of suspend your belief for an hour or two and kind of check into. Um, so I think I, I think I've really kind of put it on in the same way that a lot of people put on. Um, I mean, you mentioned Back to the Future too, right? Like I'm sure some people watch the Back to the Future movies, like I watch wrestling. I'm diehard Back to the Future fan. That uh, that little drop in was uh, was an intentional nugget for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. So I'm I'm sure a similar thing. You're like, man, I'm feeling a little bit down, or I have some time to kill, or even just like my brain is completely fried right now. Like I I just need something to kind of be with for the moment. So why don't I just watch like grown men in their underpants put each other through tables for a while, right? to tagline this with an odd follow-up i was gonna say and that's really satisfactory and and i mean it genuinely i mean the enjoyment that gives the passion that gives right um i'm thinking as you're talking one of the the real sort of complete uh dive down the rabbit hole and chasing alice and the, and the white rabbit so to, to give the, the quick boring story or the quick backstory um was totally my sister's bucket list to want to go to wrestlemania she's kept the faith for the 25 years that i fell off uh, I still think, uh, if you're listening to this, I still think you've got my wrestling figures that you've stolen and I want them back. <laughs> I think you've got them in a box in your attic. Uh, she's, she stayed the course. She's she's watched wrestling forever. And it, it dropped into a conversation of, I would love to go to WrestleMania. And um, it was it was New York, WrestleMania 35, wasn't it? It's like, well, shit, if you can get your ass over here. Right. Uh, it's a it's a three-hour, four-hour drive. And... and you know, everything, everything converged in the right direction and, and away we go. But right at that time, um, I had a five month old baby at home as well. So God, you know, God's love to my, uh, to, to my wife as well and pissing off for four days to just completely consume wrestling. But I came back and was ultimately on paternity leave then for like three months for, uh, and wrestling was just perfect in every sense. It could oh, yeah. throw on a couple hours of matches or, you know, do things with the baby while sort of watching a match or squeezing events in and stuff. And it was the right thing at all the right times for that stretch of time. 
and it completely is that's that's the rekindlement of it for me for the last couple of years is uh, it gives me something that I can delve in at any point enjoy it understand it rationalize it so again what's going on in the story what's being told in the ring what are the you know uh, I even think and we, we've we've mentioned a couple of examples of promos haven't we of vignettes that have been cut that's half the magic half the time as well because right. some of those performances are just diamond aren't they I mean um, and, and that was perfect through that time. Sat at home with a newborn baby. I, I'm not going to be able to sit and watch, you know, the the Lord of the Rings trilogy because right. I'm going to have to yeah. know all the lore and consume all of the information and whatever. And <laughs> that's not going to happen. And, and wrestling was like the perfect thing. And it just even sort of through this this these crazy times of the last twelve months with yeah. not a lot of uh, outlets for things. Um, it, I, arguably, inarguably, one of the rationales for doing this podcast right was loving wrestling and, and nerding out about wrestling the, the the love the passion the joy of the joy of wrestling yeah absolutely and the the different levels of connections i think you're you're kind of touching on too that you can have where it is that kind of like casual like i see you at every show or you and your sister me and my brother where it's this like kind of familial bond that kind of ties into it too right like it's beyond like it's an additional level there it to- totally has given us a uh commonality or something fun to experience that we obviously shared as kids and mm-hmm. as as uh as endured and uh uh yeah you know she's she she's dragged me back into it you and matt have dragged me uh not dragged me there was no there was no force <laughs> of will here uh i was i have been skipping merrily along down this rabbit hole now quite freely for some for some time but um yeah I, the, the community aspect of it the the celebration of it is uh is 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 neat yeah i think it's a perfect word for it there's there's an aspect of celebration with so much of it and especially going live it's a celebration of this weird little thing that we all share all in summary to say i i think we've just got to a natural point there where we've i was gonna say justified the existence of this <laughs> podcast coming together uh couple fans uh couple friends friends for a long time just yeah. wanting to love and celebrate wrestling. The wrestling community is awesome um, and wanting to be part of it and especially trying to find outlets to do that in the current nature of things. I'm dying to get back to a, to a live show. I'm dying to get back to a live show with you and Matt. Absolutely. And, you know, be there now as a, a, a you know, full-on juggernaut, diehard fan, <laughs> just trying to lap it up as much as I can consume in my face directly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I think, you know, this really sets the foundation of what this is about, isn't it? And, uh, you know, that said, I think folks have probably listened to us for a good amount, nerd out on, on wrestling for tonight. Um, hope you were uh, enjoying what you've listened to. Again, this is, this is really a, a, a passion and a, and a fan project, isn't it? To just celebrate wrestling. Definitely. Yeah. Should give an absolute shout out. Um, noticed at the beginning to uh, dreaded Matt Knotts and the lunch Adult podcast network. We've uh, several siblings on the network that should you uh, should you be looking for some great podcasts to sink your teeth into, well worth checking out. The uh, uh, Anomaly Presents Film Festival podcast, uh, Dreaded Matt and friends and co-hosts uh, talking about movies that they love, really dissecting some great movies. Um, there is the Beer Review Journal, which is Matt and Blue uh, getting drunk and talking a load of shit, and it's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, throwing down a couple beers and just putting the worlds to right. There's mimosas with my besties, uh, and there is also 
the mind of Magnus. Um, so we're massively appreciative of the uh, the support of the Lunchador Podcast Network. Proud to be part of the family, uh, literally and figuratively. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you want to give a shout out to some of the to the socials, Josh, where folks can interact and uh, join along for this wild, crazy journey we're embarking on. Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, on Instagram and Twitter at ISWP Mordecai. They are pretty new, so there's not a lot there yet, but there will be. Um, and I'm going to ask you what the Twitter account is, because I'm very new to that one. So you can take the, the, uh, <laughs> the collective one for today. We've got the uh, Interstate Wrestling Podcast Twitter feed at IS WrestlePod. Come along and uh, join the conversation. Uh, the wrestlers you love, the matches you enjoy. Share some tips of things that you think we should watch. Um, you know, certainly be eager to see what you think we should be checking out and uh, we can have a conversation and uh, dissect it on this uh, this platform uh, thanks for checking us out folks I've been James, he's been Josh Mordecai, we look forward to seeing you next time folks take care I'm Michinoku Driver Driver <laughs>